0: Hey everyone, Alex here. Before we get started, uh, there's something in this episode that I want to flag. In the week since we've released part one of this two-part story, we've had a couple of people approach us with information about Steve Gooch, one of the main characters we interviewed. Based on what we've been told and conversations we've had this week, we've decided to cut Steve's contributions from this episode. So you heard him in part one, you won't hear him in part two. Okay, here's Hibber.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Hibba Fisher and this is Kerning Cultures. Stories from the Middle East and North Africa and the spaces in between. This episode you're listening to now is part two of a two-part series. If you haven't heard part one, I encourage you to go back and listen to it first because otherwise this episode won't make a whole lot of sense. Here's where we left off last week.
0: When Bishop Gwynne left the school, he left the management of it in the hands of a group of trustees. And the people that he chose, they would be trustees until either they left Sudan or they gave up their positions or they died. And the only way for new trustees to be appointed was for the current trustees to appoint them. And that was the way it was supposed to carry on through future generations. But what Steve said he was looking at in that school director's office in 2011 was this handwritten piece of paper that he said looked forged and that he said listed the appointment of five new trustees.
1: Today, what happens next? And one story that always kind of captures my imagination is the, I'm the street's lost culture. <laughs> and you're listening to Kerning Cultures. Here's producer Alex Atak.
0: The case Marina was trying to make was this, that these five men, the school's board of trustees, had been abusing their positions to steal money from the school for over 15 years and they wanted to set out to prove it. With Steve, she ran a blog, nothing officially sanctioned by the school, just a side project, that shared historic photos of unity. So they already had an outlet. They made a new section of the blog called Corruption at the School, and there they published more than 100 posts containing things like financial reports, receipts, payroll documents, and email exchanges. Did you find documentary evidence that they were taking money out of the school?
2: Yes, because I'm signing the checks. I'm the check signer.
0: This is Marina Hitchin again, the former headteacher of the school.
2: But they were signing cheques for their honeymoon to Cairo, their wedding anniversary to the Seychelles, uh, a new car, their children's university fees. When I joined that school, they told me it belonged to them, it was their school. So I was writing cheques quite innocently, thinking, well, it's their money. So I actually signed the cheques. So I know they were taking money.
0: Marina had this strong sense of moral outrage about the story. I think she felt like if it was true, the owners of the school weren't just abusing their power, but that they were also in some way dishonouring the legacy of the school's founder, Bishop Llewellyn Gwyn. I mean, from it sounds like um Bishop Llewellyn's legacy is is like is like really important to you and your motivations behind taking this so far.
2: That's the only motivation. It's his property. Would you like it? If you worked all your life to give something to a country and specific group of people, you definitely didn't want to have it because it shafted you before. Would you be happy if after you're dead they managed to get their hands on it? Of course, that's my only motivation. It's his property. I really don't understand why you don't understand.
0: We were struggling to see the evidence for what Marina said it was. She kept saying to us, it's all there, you just have to look at the blog for proof. But Steve told us that they'd never had the documents they were posting verified. They were never confirmed by a third party in a way that could say for sure, this collection of documents proves corruption. Dara and I have been combing over this blog for months, reading everything that they ever posted on there. They're mostly these one-off documents, financial reports and pay slips and petty cash requests, like scattered pieces of a jigsaw, except it's impossible to tell what the final picture looks like, so you have no idea how to put them together. Maybe more importantly, though, there are no third parties that can corroborate their story. No news outlets covered it at the time. The school never officially released a statement on the accusations. We asked both Marina and Steve, is there anyone we can speak to who can help us verify anything on the blog? There wasn't. When we contacted the school to talk about the blog, we got an email from the current head teacher, Fiona Beavers. She told us that the blog's accusations were, quote, an alleged incident for which there appears to be no substance. She also told us that in 2011, after the blog came to light, the Ministry of Education in Sudan ran an investigation that, quote, did not find any substance to the allegations and no charges were pressed against any member of the school's staff or council, end quote. When it came to the end of the school year in May 2011, Steve and Marina, at least in their telling of the story, they weren't fired, The school just didn't renew their contracts.
2: They said they're not renewing my contract. That's what they did. That was their solution to it.
0: The blog was quiet for a while. And then in July 2011, we see a new post come up. It said that the school's director, one of the people that they were accusing, was arrested on charges related to financial impropriety. They don't link to any source for this. And again, as best we can tell, no news outlets covered the story at the time. When we asked the school about it, they confirmed that the director was taken in for questioning for a few hours and then released without any charges. Quote, no charges were ever brought against him or any other member of the school in connection with the allegations made by Dr. Hitchin. End quote. Marina and Steve characterised the events differently.
2: What came of the arrest? Well, what came of the arrest is I got a call to the National Assembly by the president of the country who asked me to let them out and drop the curse. Based on the fact that at that time, they were negotiating the division of the north and south of Sudan. At the stroke of midnight on
3: July 9th, residents of South Sudan celebrated their independence.
2: Let's just go now to
4: uh, the official flag-raising ceremony. There it is. Congratulations. In the summer of
0: 2011, right as all of this was coming to a head, Sudan was going through a historic change.
4: The eve of the independence of the South Sudan. What a wonderful thing.
0: The mostly Christian South and the mostly Muslim North were dividing into two separate countries. This is really uh,
5: the beginning of a new country, really from nothing.
0: So according to Marina, any government body they took their case to told them that it was just a bad time for a corruption scandal like this, one that involved some of the highest members of the Christian church to come out in the news. Like, it would have just caused more tension at an already politically sensitive time.
2: And it looks as though we're targeting them, you know? I said, no, it's not because they're Christian I'm targeting them, it's because they are thieves. That is why I'm targeting them, not because they are Christians. But he said, no, I'm going to let them out. And I was quite disgusted by that and left.
0: There's no way to know if this interaction happened or if it happened the way Marina tells it. But we do know that Marina left the school. She worked at schools elsewhere for a while, uh, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Jordan, and then moved to Luxor to start her hotel. Was it a sense of, like, you'd done everything you could and the whole situation was so kind of messed up that there was nothing?
2: Yes, exactly. I've done what I can. I can't make people understand. I can't make people care. I care, so better I'm away from it. That's how I felt, yeah? Yeah.
0: When Marina left for good, Steve Gooch wrote a note on the blog called Farewell to Marina Hitchin. It's a few paragraphs long, uh, a kind of summation of her time at Unity. It's a little bit about why she left and what she's doing now. And then as you keep scrolling, uh, underneath it are more than 80 comments from students and colleagues and external examiners. It feels like a pretty broad cross-section of the people that she came into contact with during her five years at the school. And they're all overwhelmingly positive. From this, it seems like everyone loved her... And was just sad to see her leave. Quote, Dr. Marina, it's been a great pleasure having you here with us in the school. Without you, the school wouldn't be fun and interesting as it was when you were here with us. Sad face emoji. Dear Dr. Marina, I've been in this school since third grade. I have to say that these last years were the best years. Having you as our principal was an honor, and you did great things that other principals weren't capable of. This goes on for pages and pages. And what I take from this is maybe the side to Marina that we heard in our interviews, the passionate, slightly abrasive head teacher on a mission to end corruption. Maybe this isn't the Marina that the kids and the staff at Unity knew.
5: So after Marina and Steve told me like the whole story and after both of us interviewed them, We tried to fill in the blanks, right?
0: This is Dara again. She co-produced this story with me. Together, we started contacting other teachers who were there at the same time as Marina. Off the record, we interviewed one ex-teacher who worked with them, but he told us that he couldn't say very much about the corruption scandal they were talking about. He told us that, sure, he knew about the blog. He didn't approve of it because he said they'd posted pictures there without his permission, but about if there was any truth as to what's on there, it's beyond my ability to say, he told us. For months, we tried reaching out to the people Marina and Steve were accusing. In case it isn't obvious by now, we aren't using their names. We emailed and Facebook messaged them many times, uh, phoned every contact number we could find. Eventually, we got one of them on the phone. Uh, The conversation lasted about two minutes, and he was polite if caught a little bit off guard. But ultimately, he said, no, sorry, I don't want to talk to you for the story. Dara and I were becoming obsessed with this story, though. We'd have these long conversations over Zoom late at night. Um, We're in different time zones about the latest updates and new characters we managed to locate. One of us would find a lead that we thought would unlock the whole story for us. And we'd drop whatever we were doing to call them up. Hello. Hi, Dara.
5: Hey, Alex. There's two of you on this Zoom call.
0: Oh, I have a clone.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. All right. I'm going to hit call
0: oh okay but in the end most of the people we spoke to said something along the lines of thanks for reaching out but i don't want to talk to you for the story alex this happened time and time again
3: oh my god i'm so devastated
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh my heart is like in my chest i feel like i i almost feel like i want to cry actually
3: yeah same i'm so devastated
0: we thought that if we could just talk to one of the people directly involved, maybe we'd be closer to completing the jigsaw. But after months of trying, it started to become obvious that that wasn't going to happen.
5: But then I thought the people who would give us a more like a view that's more like that's closer to the truth had to be students. So me and you, I think together, we spoke to at least 15 unity high school alum we spoke to students who went there in the 90s we spoke to, to students who went there in the 2000s in the 2010s like we spoke to three different generations
0: only two students were willing to record an interview with us muhammad and dahlia who you heard from in part one but speaking to so many ex-students on background did at least help us fill in some of the gaps that we were trying to fill with this story The main takeaway from talking to the students was that Unity High School is in some way insulated from the societal norms in Khartoum.
3: All I can tell you is that they were exempt from what the majority of the country had no way out of.
0: That's Dahlia again. She kept saying to us, look, Unity is its own thing. That word exempt came up a lot. Normal societal rules just don't apply in the same way behind those school gates, she said. And she has this one memory in particular that she used as an example of that.
3: I was subjected to um, an incident
0: it was in the morning on a day when her uncle was dropping her off at school
3: uh, we all had our uniforms on this you know pale blue uniform and our white veils and I stepped out of this the minivan that we had and I guess between getting out of the car and getting into the school gate my veil had slipped back and my hair was than visible.
5: In the early 90s, the Sudanese government, which became increasingly more um, Islamist, in its approach, they put out this law saying that all the girls had to wear a veil all the time. All the girls had to be covered.
3: And I remember there was this guard who would come up and, you know, threatened to lash me 40 times. And my uncle stepped up and it was this huge, you know, argument. And I, I remember Mr. David. And I think, I mean, he was the principal, if, if my memory serves me correct, was, you know, just aghast, like his, face was pale at the door until I ran through and made it into uh, the school gates and and I think that's where the term untouchable comes from because as soon as I got in I was you know obviously I was completely shook up I was crying howling I was scared my you know I don't know what would happen to my uncle um, I, I don't know what I did wrong I couldn't understand what all this commotion, was. And then, you know, after I calmed down and, you know, got home, I understood that it was about the the veil slipping. So we were relatively freer uh,
0: within the walls of Unity High School.
6: I mean, I know that there were people there who were very well connected.
0: (laughs) This is Muhammad al Hassan again, another Unity High School
6: alum. And so the government would turn a blind eye to whatever was happening, also was behind a wall. So between, between that sort of physical distance and the fact that there were people there whose, you know, whose parents were in government, some of them people who were just wealthy and well-connected and new people, then I think that, that, was, that, that was the reason.
5: And that's part of what made the school um, appealing for many? And a lot of the students think that in order for the school to function the way that it did for so long, without punishment, without, you know, any sort of consequence, was because it must have been
0: well-connected. A couple of people said to us that because of the history of Unity High School, that it is in some way bound by a different set of rules than the rest of society, especially as the government became more conservative. But still, none of this adds up to any sort of proof that what Steve and Marina were claiming had any truth to it. A couple of weeks ago, I got this long email from the treasurer of the Sudan Church Association. He doesn't have anything formally to do with unity, but he's familiar with what he called the Hitchin and Gooch case. He also happens to be an accountant, and he told us that after the accusations came to light, there had been a financial audit of the school. Quote, an accusation of financial theft results in a financial audit. I've not seen the report, but I do know that there were no consequences from it that would give any credence to the comments on the blog. End quote. Marina and Steve had never mentioned an audit in their telling of the story. We asked the treasurer for a copy of the audit report, but he told us he doesn't have it. In our reporting for this story, Dara and I kept coming back to thinking about the students. I don't think they were really aware of any of this stuff when it was happening. Both the school and Marina told us that it hadn't had an effect on their education or their day-to-day lives. The school still apparently performs really well, by all accounts, it's still uh, academically a really good place to send your children. The current head teacher told us that in the last three years, the school has had students who have been awarded special commendations from Cambridge for achieving the highest marks in the world at IGCSE.
5: Yeah. Um, this The school continues to function, students continue to graduate. Unity High School has some of the most successful Sudanese professionals in the world out there. You know, they're leaders in their industries. Um, They've all done really well for themselves, and they've all went, went on to graduate from great universities around the world. So if you really, really think about it um, and you take the student's perspective into consideration, even if the list of trustees was forged, the impact of that forgery or that corruption isn't actually significant enough for it to be cur- like corruption, corruption, where people had to go to jail for it. And the church is no longer a part of, you know, the, the British church or the English church. They're, they're, it's no longer a part of Sudan's everyday f- operation or functioning as a country.
0: The church association told us that the Anglican church had handed over control of the school to Sudanese directors by the 1970s, at least formally. But the connection is still there. And I don't just mean this for unity. This applies to post-colonial institutions and buildings uh, in countries around the world. There's this ephemeral presence. It's in the architecture and the British staff. But on paper, the Anglican church don't run the school.
5: So I feel like at the end of the day, even if that letter was actually forged and even if those trustees are not real trustees, does it really matter?
0: I think I... um, It's hard to say. I think if you ask Marina and Stephen that question, their answer is that it absolutely matters. When you started discovering this stuff, I feel like um, it would have been easier perhaps to have turned a blind eye to it and continued your work and taking a salary and and not not going out of your way to do anything about it. Oh, really? Why did you not do that?
2: Why didn't I do that? Are you normal? I'm going to let someone steal a school and I'm going to be part of it. I don't think so. I did look. I can get a job anywhere in the world, but this is wrong. It is wrong. I don't, I don't, I really don't understand why you think that because a crime is committed a long time ago, you shouldn't do anything about it.
0: That's not what I think. I'm just saying that you're, you know, you're, it's a, yeah, you're putting yourself on the line. And so. Yes,
2: of course. Do you think I care about that?
0: Well, that's why I'm asking.
2: No, I don't care about that. I care about what is right and what is wrong. I don't care about a bloody job. I felt for a man who gave his life to something, who didn't want this to happen.
0: And so where does all this land? Well, to be totally frank, I still feel frustrated. We started reporting this story months and months ago, But as I'm writing this, I still don't feel like we've been able to get any closer to some kind of objective truth. It's like we're looking at a landscape through one of those telescopes that you put coins in at the beach. All we know is what we can see through the lens, the small circle in the middle. The rest is all black, unseeable and unknowable. Something we've been thinking about a lot with this story is how we remember history and how people reflect on the past in different ways. There's something I just don't get about the way Marina kept talking to us about how great Bishop Gwynne was, this fervor that we just couldn't get past. The treasurer from the Sudan Church Association, the guy that told us about the audit earlier, he told me, quote, judgment on the wider accusations by Hitchin and Gooch of unconstitutional practice should be taken within the context of the laws of Sudan and life in Khartoum. They took a more colonial approach, end quote. I think that's why I feel sticky about this. There's this way that Marina talks about Britain and Sudan that I just can't feel comfortable with. In case it wasn't obvious, I'm British. And there's still this idea in our society that the oppression of countries like Sudan wasn't all that bad, that you can somehow celebrate people like Bishop Gwynne for their actions separately from the system that they were a part of.
4: Um, I'm not really given to that sort of balance sheet approach of, okay, there's some good stuff, there's some bad stuff. This is Justin Willis, professor of history at Durham University. Colonialism was a bad thing. Right? It was based on a set of ideas about racial and cultural superiority, which are now anathematic to us as a society. So uh, I, I wouldn't kind of try and weigh up the good against the bad. On the other hand, I'd also say colonialism happened. You know, the world changed profoundly as a result of it. And in terms of your kind of hesitations, um, on the whole, I um, I would share them. I and mean, again, this is this is a kind of awful thing about history, I'm afraid. History is full of sometimes people who thought they were quite good and who genuinely thought they were quite good doing things that actually were quite bad, sometimes immediately bad and sometimes in their long term consequences bad. That that's how humans are. Uh, and I think that one of the reasons we study history is to try and understand that and then to bring that to bear on ourselves in our own lives.
6: I mean, the the tale of the last century is the tale of the decline of the British Empire and the desperate attempts of some people to maintain some fragment of that prestige and all of that. You know, there's that's I think that's an undercurrent in British society. You know, unity. I mean, unity is amazing in that it's been around for almost 100 years. Obviously, the first 50 or 60 years, it filled a niche for People that wanted their kids to have like an Anglican education and giving people an option or those who are capable to get a to get a, a decent education. But whether it's, it's the symbol of sort of a lasting colonial presence, it's not that anymore. I mean, it's, it's evolved over time. And I think that Unity High School has as well.
1: This episode was produced by Dara Ghanem and Alex Atak, with editorial support from Dana Balut, Zaina Duyder, and myself, Hibba Fisher. Sound design by Alex Atak and Mohammed Khayzat, and fact checking by Zaina Duyder. Bella Ibrahim is our marketing manager.
0: Thanks to everyone who spoke to us for this story uh, Marina Hitchin, Mohammed Al Hassan, Heather Sharkey, and Justin Willis, and to all the people whose voices weren't in the episode. Uh, Sara Al Hassan, Ala El Tom, Fadwa Saad, Mohammed Osman, and all of the Unity High School ex students and ex teachers that we spoke to off the record.
1: We'll be back with a new story next Friday. Thanks for listening. Until next time.